Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times best-selling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. And we're live. Hello, Brendan and everyone that's tuning in. We're here for another episode of, what are we going to call this? We don't know. B-squared, live with Brendan and Billy, live with Billy and Brendan. I actually want to talk about lives. Brendan, you've really become addicted to live streaming. Why live streaming? Why is that something that you think is uh, important and why why is it something that you want to spend time doing? Yeah, absolutely, Billy. Always a pleasure. And I definitely think it's Billy and Brenda. That's definitely more appropriate. But the idea of lives, in my opinion, is supply and demand of content. You know, we were on Clubhouse, for those who don't know, it's like a social audio app. And fun fact, they removed their invite-only functionality today. I don't know if you know Mm, that. I didn't know. But basically, yeah, it's a fun fact. But anyways, so what happened is me and Billy would spend an enormous amount of time, 8 to 10 hours a day, leading these conversations. But what we realized in those conversations is we're committing a lot of time. And the reason it takes a lot of time is because not only are we speaking, but we're also facilitating the other 20, 25, 30 people who might enter a room want to speak and also giving them a chance to speak and facilitating that interaction. So it's kind of like you're, on, you're at a dinner table, but you have to navigate the dinner table instead of them just talking to each other at their own wish. What's interesting about live, Billy, is the time commitment's a lot smaller. It's a lot more fun because it's just me and you talking to each other. So the the effort commitment is also not as high as it was on Clubhouse when we first collaborated in a big way. And the third piece is the supply and demand of content creators on a specific platform. So it, the story would have been different if we focused primarily on Facebook Lives. Because today... Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of content creators are on Facebook currently creating content. So it's very difficult to stand out like it was versus what it was in when Facebook was live first appeared probably a few years ago. What's interesting about LinkedIn Live and the moment of time it's at is a couple of things. One, the number of people who actually have, have access to LinkedIn Live. It's funny, I have access to LinkedIn Live now. It took me 24 hours to get approval, even if I'm never going to use it. But there's, there's like maybe a few thousand who have access to it. And within that few thousand, very little people are actually going live on a consistent basis. That's one. Two is built-in community. The LinkedIn algorithm currently, or the way that it's structured right now on the platform, is a lot of people, the culture of LinkedIn is people like to support each other quite a bit in the comments. It's actually how you gain a following. That's something I learned from you. So naturally, when you go live, you get a lot more comments, you get a lot more people entering the discussion. And number three, it's exclusive to the business community. There's very few eight-year-olds on LinkedIn listening to a live stream or even on the platform for the first place. So for all of those reasons, it made sense for us to bet on LinkedIn Live in the same way we bet on Clubhouse, especially now with LinkedIn Live that the investment of our time is a lot lower. And frankly, it's a lot more fun as well. Okay, so where do you see lives going? And you, you're you spending time not only doing a live with me, but you're also on other lives with, where you're a guest. You're, you're co-hosting this with me. Let's do our best Gary V impression and start to predict the future or, or kind of be the type of person who could see the direction things are going, where are things going? Because we know that audio is hot. We know that 
social audio specifically is is red hot. That I guess that could be argued because you know there's a lot of doubters who say that Clubhouse is doomed, and we even talked about that on this very live few live sessions back. So what's the future hold for live streaming content, and how does it compare to say other types of content that's similar, like Clubhouse or like a straight up podcast? Absolutely, man. And the the way that I think about it is social audio was hot. I don't think it's as hot as it was in the past. But you're definitely right about audio in general, though, in my opinion, anyways. Because audio as a medium can be integrated within your life. So for those who don't know what that means, it just means that while you do your laundry, you can't really listen to a YouTube video. Or when you're cooking, it's a lot harder. But if you're listening to a radio show or a podcast like yours or someone else's, it integrates into your day-to-day life. Go, driving a car is also another good example of that. Clubhouse is a lot more trickier because the time commitment is indefinite. You could have Clubhouse rooms that last several hours and hours and hours. There's no structure. There's no format. And it's a lot harder for people to moderate those conversations, especially on a Clubhouse, where the only way to actually grow an audience in a room on Clubhouse is to bring people up on stage. But in LinkedIn or any other live, if you just produce something consistent and you choose the right platform to be consistent on, it's actually really easy to retain your audience. And what I've noticed, especially with a lot of the people that I've been able to collaborate with who are some of the pioneers of LinkedIn Live, namely Miha in particular, what was interesting about him is even after two years and a half of of doing LinkedIn Lives on a consistent basis, 30 minutes a week, right? It's not a huge investment of his time. He's actually still able to grow that following over and over time. So basically, the way I see the future of all of this is when it comes to live streams, I definitely see a bright future. And the reason is simple. The interactability piece is there. The community piece is there. But more importantly, because you always have to think about the content creator and what their incentive is, is the level, the number of the effort that is necessary for the live stream is actually significantly lower than the clubhouse room. Because once the live is over on LinkedIn, and generally content creators are conditioned to make it as short as possible, or else Pooh would watch the replay of that, that then creates a trickling effect where people are constantly sending messages, replying, and saying, wow, there's like this nice spontaneous event where people get to see your face and people get to interact with you in real time. Mm. Yeah, the, the interactive piece clearly is, is a major component that is attractive. I also am fascinated by this idea of showing up consistently over time. And you mentioned Miha. There's a ton of other cases of people who put in the work over and over again, week in, week out. But to your point, it's not work like Clubhouse could be a six-hour, eight-hour, ten-hour day a commitment, literally, because, as you said, it's indefinite. And it's easy to get lost into the Clubhouse abyss from a time allocation perspective. And don't get me wrong, I still like Clubhouse, but it's far more targeted and specific when I spend my time there. I know I'm hosting a room on Breakfast with Champions on Saturday morning, right? So I know from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., I'm hosting a room in that club, in that specific room. And there are other examples, you know, whether it be me hosting a room in Club Pod, I regularly host a room there, or if it's my own room where I'm, uh, or even with some of my clients, with hosting a room with Dr. Laura Berman for her show, The Language of Love, which we do every Tuesday. It's very specific. So I'm still doing about three rooms a week, but I feel like I'm on the platform a lot less. And the reason why is it's very specific. It's hard in, a hard out for the most part, not too dissimilar to a live. And to your point, we keep the content short so that people will actually want to watch the replay. So let's talk about consistency though, because I know there's a lot of people who we can look at as examples of being people who think long-term, they, they have long-term vision. And as a podcaster, I know how important that is. I know if I start a podcast or if I'm helping someone start a podcast, I want them to look three, four, five, or even 10 years out as opposed to six to 12 months out. You are the same way. The way in which you approach your YouTube channel is you're playing the long game. 
yes, you've reached over 10,000 subscribers. You're targeting 100,000 and then a million and then probably more than that. And you know, the only thing separating you from getting there is time. Yeah, there's, there's strategies and there's techniques and there's ways to accelerate or I should say decrease the amount of time. But the one constant, the one thing that no one can disrupt you from doing is being consistent. I mean, you've written your YouTube content, I think to like 2023 20, or 24. I don't even know what, what year you're at, but you've written it so far out. It's, it's you're on autopilot. You've created a system and you're doing the same thing with your LinkedIn content. So can you talk a little bit about the power of consistency and anybody that's a great example to help illustrate how they've used that in their own game. Absolutely. And just to close the point on, on lives, the other hidden benefit I've realized that I don't think a lot of people know of is it's actually really easy if you have really good content to get on a live that's really big. So if you want to try and get onto a top podcast, it's really hard because a lot of people are constantly pitching people. And all the best pods have like hundreds of pitches that they have to go through a day. That's not true with LinkedIn Live. A lot of the LinkedIn Live influencers, even like Miha is a great example. He's one of the first hundred people to have gotten access to this. He booked me in like two weeks. Like done. Right? I get on his show. Why? Because there's a lot less competition. Because you have to be on LinkedIn. You have to know about that opportunity. And you have to know that that specific person is a LinkedIn content creator for live. So there's an interesting dynamic there. In terms of the other question, which is the difference between asynchronous content and synchronous content, and what that means for those who are listening, is synchronous content is content like this, where you are in live, in real time, we're having a conversation, and you're listening to that conversation now. But then after the conversation is over, that content becomes asynchronous. That means you can watch it any time you want. Midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m. doesn't really matter. And the reason that's important is because you want to have a strategy for both. So let's start with asynchronous, where you produce it anytime, it gets posted anytime you want, and you have a consistent flow. YouTube's a good example of that. Post once a week, post forever once a week, which is my strategy. So how do I think about this? To your point... I think in 10-year cycles. And this is the big mistake most content creators don't do is they focus in days, not decades. They're focused on what's what's due next week, not with who they want to be or what they want to, to stand for a decade from now. And if you take YouTube as a simple example, all you need to stay relevant at the end of the day on YouTube as a platform is one video a week. There's countless examples of channels who only post once a week and have millions of followers because that post is always gold. So if you do the math really quickly without boring people too much, one year, 52 weeks, 52 videos. So how do we catch up to that? The way I always think about this is if you write one video every single day for two months, in two months of work, you have one year of content. And then that, of course, multiplied by 10 years, 520 videos do the math, same thing. So the key is always create more than you need to post. Same thing with LinkedIn. I have a daily content strategy. I'm approximately six months ahead of schedule now. So how do I do this? I always post one a day, but I force myself to write two posts a day at the very minimum. And that is how you constantly gain a lead until the whole system is automated, especially on LinkedIn, where people don't really remember what you posted the year before. So you can literally just keep recycling your text posts forever. And then once you have a system of consistency, then you could add some sprinkles on top and add some strategy there too. 100%. I love everything you just said. In particular, I love this idea of thinking in decades, not days. That's such a powerful, powerful insight. And I think someone listening or watching either now or asynchronously after is going to get value from that. And a light bulb is going to go off that they're, they're too short-sighted in, in their thinking and uh, probably not intentionally, but they're focused too much on the daily as opposed to the yearly, or as you put it, the the 10 yearly, which, which brings me to, as we kind of switch topics a bit, but talk about somebody specifically. I want to talk about Gary V Vaynerchuk, who if I were to ask 
a hundred creators. And when I say creators, I mean people who either do a podcast, have a YouTube channel, they do live, they're creating content on Instagram. They do something creative to market themselves and brand themselves in the social media space. If I asked a hundred people who's inspired you the most, I would bet good money that Gary would be at the top of that list. Who's, who's the person most responsible for inspiring you to do what you do today? I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said, I read the book Crushing It and it changed my life. I'm one of them, by the way. I mean, I read it two years ago, three years ago on my 10-year anniversary, and that's when, it, that's when the dot started to connect and it clicked. And a year later, I ended up leaving Tesla, started my podcast, and here we are. So I'm wondering, why does Gary have that effect on people? And why and how has he been able to so dramatically shift and shape the way people think about how they should show up in their in their lives and, and do the things that they're doing? I'm curious what you attribute that to. Let's push the dial on that even further, Billy. You read Crushing It, but the truth is that was the sequel. The prequel was Crush It in 2008-9. That's when it all started. And the reason I bring that up, and I'm glad that book inspired you, by the way, the sequel, is because Gary is the perfect example of decades, not days. Even with this recent example, and then I'll go back into the history of it, but even today when we think about VFriends and what he's been doing in the NFT space this year, ever since he got into Ethereum, he's been doing a lot of crazy stuff. But basically what he's up to now is he's creating a, a, a three-day super conference where you, he's creating his own live event now. So to your point, Gary V is not afraid to innovate. Gary Free is not afraid to try new things. And more importantly, over the last 10 years, Gary V has always been at the top. Why is that? A couple of reasons. One is quantity. There is nobody on earth who creates more content than Gary Vaynerchuk. Even before he had a media team. And you don't have to take my word for it, even if a lot of people don't believe Gary. Just go type in Wine Library on YouTube, and you'll notice that Gary V was actually one of the first content creators on YouTube in 2006. I want people to pay attention to this. Not 2016, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about 2006. He's been creating content for 15 years on social. 15, 20, approximately. And that is a good example of decades. Because back then, even up until 2010, I would say, Gary Vaynerchuk wasn't that famous. He was known, but he wasn't super famous as he is today. And what's even funny, and Gary says this a lot, Billy, is Gary V always says, and I actually believe him, that he's not, he hasn't even gotten started yet. Like, he's 15 years into this, but now that he's honed his message, now he's only scaling up. And I think he's going to be much bigger. I think he's actually heavily underrated currently right now in the market because he's still 44 45 years old he's still got another good 20 30 years of content creation to go but i think the idea besides decades and days with gary one of them is quantity for sure second and and the reason quantity is so important because he fails so quickly that he figures out what works no like no judgment he just tries a bunch of stuff the second reason is he's always early on trends. And he says this a lot. Social media is like real estate. You know, if you're one of the first people to buy a property in a market that's going up, well, you're going to get most of the land. We're good examples of this on Clubhouse. We got in early, so we got the benefits of that network before the real estate got saturated, mm. before everyone else got that's on. powerful. Right. Absolutely. And it's his, his words, not mine. But what's been great about Gary is Gary's always the first. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, he was an early investor in Tubler and in, in Instagram and uh, no, in Facebook and Snapchat. So the guy knows social inside and out. He understands consumer behavior, which is the third piece. We'll get into the third piece a bit later. But the idea is simple. He's always the first one because he's not afraid to try new things. Whereas most of us, we just stick with what we know. And Chris Doe talks a lot about that too, right? when you interviewed him, where he's where he says the people who innovate, the people who win in any industry, are the individuals who are always willing 
to change what they believe about the world based on how the world actually works, not on what they think the world is. And Gary was doing that since 2003 with Google AdWords. Mm. Right? So he's been in this business for a long time. Okay, so quantity is one thing you said. And let me first dive in on that. And then we'll go to, I want to talk a little bit about part two and then we'll, we'll you'll start with part three. So it's funny because I just made a YouTube video about this, specifically about Gary V talking about this idea of What's important, quantity or quality? And the answer is both. But, and this is a very important but, but start with quantity. And the reason why he believes start with quantity is that through quantity, you will get to quality. So if you do something enough, you're going to get better and better and better. I just made a post about this today. It's called shitterating. Uh, I learned this concept from Dan Nessel, uh, he's a client of mine. His podcast is the Dan Nessel show. And he talks about the idea of it's not going to be perfect the first time out. And he read a newsletter. And in that newsletter, this concept, it's the combination of put something out that's shit to start, but iterate and make it better. So shitterate. And this idea of being comfortable with it not being perfect and recognizing that the only way you will continue to get better is through iterating and through volume and doing and testing and trying different things and experimenting and continuing to evolve and grow. Part of the reason that we did as well as we did on Clubhouse is because we did it so much and we got better and better and better, which leads me to part two of your insight, which I absolutely love, which is you got to recognize trends. Chris Doe talked about being in tune with the winds of change. Clearly, there's there's really no one better than Gary at spotting the next mover and the next trend, and he gets in early. And you're right. One of the reasons we had success on Clubhouse was we were early to the game. We got that cheap real estate, and it helped us grow. So I just think that, one, how do you spot these trends? is a question. And then I want to hear about part three. Why is it that he's so gifted, if that is what it is, at spotting trends? Like, what is he doing right? Is Does he have people? Is he just in tune with it? And is there something that we can take away and actually implement in our own lives so that we could be better at spotting trends? Ooh, that's a tough one. Let's quickly talk about the quantity piece because what Dan shared today was was super interesting and I read that post as well. And what I'd said in the comments that, that I guess bears repeating is a quote I got from Jeremy Coward, who is one of the celebrity photographers in the world. And he says this. He says, the more you execute, the more you fail. The more you fail, the more you don't care. The more you don't care, the more you execute. So going back to the idea of quantity, the more you just do something... The more you really do a bad job, there's so many clubhouse rooms I've done that were just like, not good. We got into some trouble. <laughs> but over time, we just stopped caring about the failure. We're like, ah, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up. And we just executed more. We got better. So I encourage people to just create, to your point. That's the key to getting better. I'm getting better on LinkedIn. I'm still a student. And I'm still a student of YouTube, too. And we're always learning all the time. To the question about trends, though, this is a tricky one. Because even Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't know how he spots trends. This is go this actually goes back to, to part three. Part three is consumer behavior. Gary V understands human psychology better than most, if not all, influencers in the industry. He just knows what human beings do. He's just good at culture. It's what he does. So, for example, and that's why he has his own marketing agency, right? He just understands human beings, what they care about, what they're incentivized to do before they're willing to admit it. Airbnb is a great example of this. Gary Vee knew long ago, long ago, that people were going to sleep in each other's houses and pay them for it, right? But nobody else thought it. Oh, it's not true. Or when, uh, when Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars, he was the only person at the time on live TV who said in Instagram got stolen by Facebook. A billion was nothing for the company. And everyone went crazy on him. They're like, what are you talking? Literally everyone else. You're absolutely, and obviously we know today, Instagram alone is worth at least $100 billion, if not more. 
and the company as a whole is worth almost a trillion today. So yeah, Instagram was a steal. WhatsApp too, even at 18 billion. But the point that I'm driving is it's very difficult to spot trends. I, I actually equivalate it, and he says this in an interview with Tom Bilyeu, where he doesn't know how to teach it because he just gets goosebumps. He just knows human nature in the same way LeBron James just has that extra technique, that extra sauce, that extra spicy edge that most of us don't. But here is the tip that I can share that will help people. And the tip is always be willing to challenge your own assumptions of what is true. Here's what smart people all have in common, in my opinion. Smart people understand that they don't know most of what is available in the world. Smart people come to the conclusion that, well, I don't really know everything because 99% of all the knowledge in existence, I just don't know. So it forces me to make the world a student. It forces me to always listen to other people's perspectives. And it's that mindset that will allow you to switch gears when something isn't working and when something is. And this is especially difficult for people who are really successful. Because if you're really successful on Instagram and somebody's telling you that Instagram is not going to work in two years, you're just going to laugh at them. And that will be your demise. So my advice is always put an ear on the market Always understand the market, and more specifically, whenever Gary Vee tells you what to do, just do it because he's been right a hundred, not ninety, but a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, and I love the fact that even though you are maybe not as optimistic about the future of Clubhouse, you recognize that the time that you did spend there was valuable. And to your point, you got in early enough to where you saw the benefits. It's helped you with your coaching business. It's helped you find and identify people to go into your, your uh, be both direct clients and group coaching clients, uh, as well as people that be into becoming subscribers to your YouTube channel uh, in any number of ways that it's helped to support you and your business. You've walked away from your full-time job so you could be a full-time entrepreneur. So it, and a lot of that is because of the work that you did building your own brand through Clubhouse and obviously YouTube. So speaking of YouTube and while we're talking about Gary, can you walk us through a little bit about how does a guy who is a wine video maker, right? He makes videos. His dad has a company that, you know, was doing fairly well, but all of a sudden he starts doing wine videos his dad's company starts to grow and flourish. How does that, because he, he could have just kept on doing that and then just kind of fade off into the sunset. But no, what happened is he becomes this icon, this, frankly, this cultural icon in the world of social media and content creation that I believe will be looked at for decades, if not centuries, again, because of the influence and impact he's had on other people. So my question to you, Brendan, is, what clicked for him to allow him to reach the status and level that he's at today? Walk us through the history. I love it, man. You know, it's fascinating with Gary. You're absolutely right. He could have just became the wine. And he was, by the way. You know, he scaled up his family business from three to 60 million. I watched, his wine. I watched Google. his wine videos. I knew him. I knew him then. Like, I literally knew him as the wine video guy. That's how long I've been watching Gary V. So it was just, wow. so that's what's interesting to me is, I mean, I, I wasn't like a regular viewer, but I had seen him do those videos. So that's, it's fascinating. But yeah, carry on. No, absolutely. I mean, I wish too. I guess I was like 10 or 15 at the time. So I guess a wine show wasn't of much interest to me back then. But absolutely huge Gary Vee fan. And the idea was he was able to scale up his business so quickly, his family business, because of Google AdWords and email primarily back when those those ads were super cheap and the email open rates were like 80%. It was like absolutely insane. You probably know this better than I do though. But the idea is the main reason he actually started his own thing, he says this in some interviews, not all of them, is because he just wanted to do his own thing. Like he built the business for 10 years and he just gave it to his family because he wanted to give back to his parents and that's just an immigrant thing. I totally get it, right? Giving back to your parents working hard. 
and his and his dad wanted his own he wanted his business back he's like he wasn't the king of of wine anymore they had a little conflict so gary always knew that he wanted to start his own thing so then after the wine business what happened is he left the wine business with zero equity zero cash pretty much nothing and he started vayner and the reason he started vayner media is because he looked at his core skill set and he simply asked himself what is the one thing i just do better than everyone else that he can't really explain going back to our earlier conversation the one thing he just knew really well is he was really good at culture he was just really good at spotting trends oh this is going to go oh this van shoe brand is going to come back this singer is probably going to do well this cultural phenomenon is going to take over and he was more specifically correct in the social media sense where he figured web 2.0 was going to be really big and back in the early days you could literally just talk to the ceo of twitter because no one was really investing in tech startups they don't have the same attention that they do today so based on those those th- that thesis that's what he built vayner media on and that's what he was able to build. But I think at the end of the day, Billy, to keep this super simple for the audience, what made what made him exceptionally dangerous in this industry is he just he was a consumer of social. He's not he's an he's a practitioner of his game. He's not like someone who goes to business school and reads a bunch of books on social media. The guy is making TikTok videos. The guy is on TikTok. The guy is tweeting on Twitter. He's literally replying to everything himself. I still think it's mind-boggling that he's still answering DMs, that he literally remembers thousands of people that he just met in a conversation. He goes, yeah, I remember you, the guy who did this. And then that eight-year-old kid is like... Like, how does he know? Like, it's it's insane. But the number word here, keep it simple, is he's a practitioner of the game, and that's why he's the best in the game. Ooh, yeah, it's so true, right? If he were out of touch, it would be very difficult for him to be as in tune with the trends as he is. And so maybe going back to my question about how does he spot trends, and yeah, he's got the spidey sense or he's got the goosebumps or whatever you want to call it is intuition helps him because he's involved he's immersed and he understands from actually doing it and that is a key point that we have to remember i also think it's a really important point that you brought up about why he chose vayner media and why he chose to leverage what he knew better than most whether he was the best in the world at that point could be argued i think it would be more difficult to argue it today based on his track record based on the influence based on the impact that he's made on so many other people because he's just by some order of magnitude expanded his reach through all of the people who he has informed who he has guided who he has inspired and and most of them he will never know or meet because he's only one person. He can only know or meet so many people despite having such a great gift for remembering people and actually being involved enough to check his own DMS. Okay. So again, going a step further, as we go through this timeline, he starts Vayner media and I know he's got audacious goals. He wants to be an owner of the jets. He wants to do so many things with his life. His company, I mean, it's not just one company, it's like 10 companies. So anytime that somebody starts something, there's no guarantee it will be it will work, it will be successful. Why do you think his company and his influence have continued to flourish and blossom since starting Vayner? You know, I'm just going to reuse what he said. That I, It's simple, but it's the truth, and I'll add my Brendan seasoning on top. It's self-awareness, man. He just knows what he's good at and he knows what he isn't good at. Mm. But let me add some layer to that because Gary never explains what self-awareness actually means. He usually just ends his argument by saying, pick a strength and then go all in on that and that's it. And I understand why he does that, by the way. He does it because, like in our first conversation, simplicity scales. Right? If you do simple stuff, that's how you reach the masses. So that's technical. That's strategic. Just most people don't realize it. They kind of just say, oh, Gary Vee doesn't know anything. He's just, how does he not know anything? He has a multi-nine-figure business. I'm pretty sure he knows a lot more than just, you know, Billy, you should pick one thing and go all in on it. It's all strategic. 
But let me add some layer here. What does self-awareness actually mean? Because I feel not enough influencers in our industry talk about that. So let me tell you my definition. If you do not have a list of all your weaknesses, you are not self-aware. You know, we talk about strength finders all the time. And yes, finding your strengths is good. Empowering your strengths is good. But you got to know what you're shit at. If you don't know what you're absolutely terrible at, you cannot move as quickly. And the reason is because you have to hire out or outsource what you're not good at or else you won't move as fast. Gary Vee, to give a very specific example, a lot of people ask him. Actually, not a lot of people. Very few people look into this. If Gary Vee was such a successful investor in Twitter, he, I mean, he, he did pass on Uber's angel round, but he invested in the, in the Series A and the, and the seed round. So he was still pretty early, still made a good penny. Snapchat, Tumblr, why didn't he start his own tech company? A lot of people ask him that. What's his reply? I'm not a tech guy. Mm. I'm not a tech guy. I'm not the person who's going to build the tech stack, who's going to go through all those growing pains. Because he watched all those tech founders. He watched the Zucks, right? He knew him like way early. He met David, right? The guy who started Tumblr. Like he knows these guys. They're all tech nerds. They all code until 2 a.m. That's not Gary. So instead, he's going to hire someone who knows tech or just write them a check. So Gary V is self-aware. So for all of you who are listening, you need to be self-aware enough to understand your own weaknesses. Let's self-aware on Brendan. I'm great on video. I'm good at podcasting. I like conversations. But I'm not going to be the best blogger in the world. It's just not me. I'm not good at books. I'm not good at writing at the level where I think I could be. But Gary understands that well, too. He's like, I'm really good at podcasts. I'm super good at speaking, writing a book. No, he ghostwrites every single one of his books. And he says that too, right? That's why his books aren't well formatted. But that's okay because people buy the books anyways. Understand what you're good at, but more specifically, understand to the detail what you're not good at so that you can build a team around you that can fill in your gaps and you can move at lightning speed. Mm, powerful. And I want to, Evie's uh, got some great insights here as well. Uh, sh she says, he practices what's in the big leap, which is to outsource his zone of incompetence. We hear about zone of genius all the time, but your zone of incompetence, powerful. Like, so outsource that. And so that way he's able to actually work in his zone of, of genius. She also talks about WWGD. I believe that's what would Gary do. So we're going to wrap up here in just a couple minutes. But before we do, I, I do want to explore one more thing about Gary. And that is, what do you think Gary needs to do to actually fulfill what you alluded to, which he's only just beginning? Because I'll be blunt. I don't know how this guy can top what he's already done. And... If I'm being blunt about it, like there's, he's in his zone of genius. We know what his zone of genius is. How does he up what he's been able to accomplish so far? Because it's mind blowing what he's been able to do so far. What needs to happen for him to be for his chapter two, if this is all chapter one, to be better than if his chapter, what, what needs to happen for his chapter two to be better than his chapter one? Great question, man. Here's my personal take. I think it's more chapter two going on chapter three, but there's 10 chapters to this book. Let me explain why. We think we know his zone is genius. We think we do, Billy. But let's explore that a bit more in a way that I think 99.999% of people don't explore Gary Vee in that way. Gary Vee curates and chooses what he wants to show in the public. So that implies, that implies... That 95%, like his family, right, like his conversation, 95% of what actually happens in his boardrooms, in his CMO conversations with Pepsi, with Mondelez, and with all of his big accounts, they don't, we, we don't hear any of that because all of that's confidential, right? So we, let's not get lost in there. He's curating what he wants to show to the public, right? So what does that mean? That means his zone of genius is impossible for us to actually know. And his project this year 
especially with V friends, is such a good example with that. For those who don't properly understand that, I can give you a bit more layer. Okay, cryptocurrencies, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, or else people are going to think something else. But the idea is there's different types of cryptocurrencies. Okay, and one of those cryptos is called Ethereum, and Ethereum is essentially a crypto that you can build different apps, applications, and virtual items on top of. And what Gary Vee has done with this first project called NFTs that's built on the Ethereum network is he's literally drawn out 140 cartoons. And through those cartoons, he's selling them on the Ethereum network to then invite those people to a conference. So what is the goal of me telling you this? Is the goal of me telling you this for actually to understand what I just said? Absolutely not, because I barely understand it myself. The reason I'm telling you this is because this guy made 45, listen to this, 40 to $45 million on his NFT launch. And I don't think anyone who's listening right now even knows that or even knows he was even doing that. And that's the point I want to drive is there's a lot more to Gary Vee that even I don't understand. I, I study him quite a bit that, uh, that, it, that we still don't know about. But I'll, I'll give you another, another small hint okay, that he gave a couple of weeks ago on an episode he did with Justin Kahn. For those who don't know, Justin Kahn is the co-founder of Twitch that sold to Amazon few years ago so they're good friends and what Gary Vee said is he said the next step of my master plan is I want to transition from Mickey Mouse to Walt Disney so what does that mean that means my, Mickey Mouse is the the brand right the character that we remember in Disney right you could plug in anyone any dog whatever but who but and Gary Vee did the same thing so he looked at the social media thing and he said personal brands are going to be huge and I don't know anybody in my circle is going to be a personal brand. So let me just uh, test it on myself. Let me just be the guinea pig. And people think that's a zone of genius. But that's not true. The guy's a branding genius, right? He's built, pretty much built, Mondelez, Pepsi, all these big accounts. You just don't see that work because it's all confidential, right? It's all under NDAs and stuff. But the point is, this guy's an amazing brand architect. Which means the the analogy he was explaining it with Justin, he he gave a teaser. He didn't go into too much details. Is we, he, people are going to remember him not for the character of Mickey Mouse, not for the personal brand of Gary Vee in twenty years, but for Walt Disney, who is the creator of multiple personal brands, multiple different personalities, multiple different big corporate brands. That's where Gary Vee is heading, and that is also where a lot of billionaires reside. Think about David Geffen, right? David Geffen was one of the big music producers and executives. The early 1990s, that guy's a multi-billionaire because he manages a lot of the big artists, a lot of big companies. And that's where Gary wants to get into. He wants to get into Billionaire Club so he can buy the New York Jets. That's his next play. And to be that, he can't just be a personal brand. He needs to start creating other personal brands, manage them better, put his little Gary V flavor, and that's how he gets to a couple of billion dollars in mm. in net worth. Wow. Super powerful, man. Well, I want to thank uh, everyone that's been able to tune in throughout this awesome session. We talked a lot about the incredible Gary V. We walked through a little bit of his past, uh, really dove in and talked about the power of quantity and why it's so important on the road to quality. We talked about the importance of consistency and why that is really the cornerstone of how people see success. We talked about the importance of having long-term vision to think in decades, not days. We talked a lot about the power of being able to be self-aware and why that plays such a critical part to Gary's success. And so much more, uh, really appreciate everyone's comments. We talked about the idea that Evie brought up, which is outsource your zone of incompetence. It's a concept that was in the big leap and he's brilliant at that. So what are you going to do from here? And so the question that I have for anybody that's been able to watch this either live synchronistically or asynchronistically watching it back on replay is what do you do from here? And and actually, I have a question for you, Brendan, as, as a final thought, and I'm going to let you kind of run with this, is you know so much about these topics that we've talked about, an extraordinary amount. And I believe that because of the knowledge that you've accumulated, 
it helps to make you that much more equipped to do what you do, which is to advise executives, advise business leaders, and people who want to be high-level communicators in the corporate space, either as a business owner or as a leader within a large business. But when you have all of this knowledge, you're able to help people in a very serious way. Can you talk as we close out here a little bit about how you gather information? Because truthfully, it's it's awesome. It's like mind-blowing to to pick your brain and understand like either you're really good at retaining information or you have a great way of finding important information. Are you an avid reader? Are you watching YouTube videos? Like get, get a little bit detailed about your approach. Cause I'm going to, one, I, I want to take a page out of that playbook Two, I want to give that page to anybody that's listening right now so they could know how to up-level their own knowledge base, fill up that knowledge tank and give themselves more ability to understand people like Gary, because when you understand them, you're better equipped to do things at that level. Beautiful question. And thankfully, if you guys want to buy my course, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll give you the secret. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's a beautiful question. Here's the way I see this to keep it simple for people. Okay. There's no magic formula to the way that I consume knowledge. Trust me, I'm not smart like Jim Quake. That guy can memorize like a bunch of stuff. And I, I just get dizzy thinking about his memory skills. But the the way I've always seen it, is number one, start with the big vision. If you don't dream big, you're not going to consume knowledge in a big way. Why would you need to? Right? If your goals in life are minimal, and goals could be anything, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you need to build a business, but it's the difference between saying, I want a family versus I want to be the best dad, my the best mom for my children. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like goals that really excite you. That's where knowledge comes from, number one. Number two, with that big vision, those big dreams, those big aspirations, the next step of the process, and this is how I learn personally, and I hope it serves, is who are the people who have already achieved those dreams, those aspirations? And the reason I know Gary Vee so much, and obviously we're cheating a bit because we're being selective about the people that I actually know a lot about, in the sense that the reason I've studied these people, Lewis House, Gary Vee, is because they're people I want to be. These are individuals who have impacted millions of lives, not thousands, millions of lives. And I'm in the thousand range right now, and I want to be in the million range because I think it's such a beautiful thing to do, to impact so many lives, especially in an area like public speaking that not many people create content enough for the masses. So this leaves us to part three. Part three is quit the admiration. Okay, Quit the admiration. I tell this a lot to my clients. And it shocks them a bit. But I, I always say, especially when we get really deep into the advanced stuff, go, if you want to go far in life, you got to stop admiring people. And this usually surprises other people. They go, mm, what do you mean? Isn't it, Brett, isn't it right to compliment other people? Isn't it right to admire? Yes, it is true. you got to admire some people. It's good to make other people feel seen, heard, and understood. That's totally cool. But we do too much. You know those people I just named? Those people I we admire? The Gary V's, the Lewis Howes? Every time, I, I call it how versus wow, where we people, we look at these people we admire and we say, wow, Gary V has achieved so much in his life and the logic stops there. I can't do this. He's Gary. I'm Brendan. Eh, I can't really do that. But what a very small percentage of the human population do is they ask how. So the next time you see someone you admire... Don't say, wow, always ask how. Go really deep on that individual. As you can tell from my knowledge base, I haven't only listened to one interview of Gary Vee. To, to be quite truthful, I've listened to at least 100. At least, probably more, but at least 100. Where he was either being interviewed or he was interviewing somebody else. And I'm always watching. I'm always listening, I'm always paying attention specifically to his weaknesses and to where he's going in the future. So that's what I encourage everyone does. Number one, big vision, big dreams. If we don't have big visions and big dreams, there's no point to put in this level of work, people. Trust me. Number two, who are the people who already have those goals? If you want to be a great dad, go find some great dads. People you really admire. Wow, this father is like so amazing. And then number three, don't just say they're great. 
Because that, my friends, will get you nowhere. Will get you nowhere. Spend some time asking yourself how they got there. What weaknesses they have in their own game today. What advice would you give them? And that's when we start taking off people we admire off the pedestal. And we start to humanize them. And slowly but surely, we become them. Mm. Drop the mic. Brendan Kumarasamy. Check out his YouTube channel. It's called Master Talk. So just type that in and subscribe. Please, if you're ever, ever, ever needing a executive coach to help you with your communication skills, don't hesitate to reach out to Brendan. If you're ever in need of help with podcast, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm able to help you with my company, Podify. We help produce podcasts and do everything that you frankly don't want to do, like edit your show, create video clips. And so feel free to reach out to me for that. What a powerhouse session. I absolutely love this. Stop thinking about the wow and instead focus on the how. And remember, don't focus too much on the days. Instead, focus on the decades. So some powerful insights in this one. Hopefully you got value if you did. Please make sure that you're following us for future lives like this. Until next time, make it a great one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.